So we're going to read Jude, verses 1 to 16. Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and a brother of James, to those who have been called, who are loved in God the Father and kept for Jesus Christ. Mercy, peace, and love be yours in abundance. Dear friends, although I was very eager to write to you about the salvation we share, I felt compelled to write and urge you to contend for the faith that was once that was once for all entrusted to God's holy people. For certain individuals whose condemnation was written about long ago have secretly slipped in among you. They are ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into a license for immorality and deny Jesus Christ our only sovereign and Lord. Though you already know all this, I want to remind you that the Lord at one time delivered his people out of Egypt but later destroyed those who did not believe. And the angels who did not keep their positions of authority but abandoned their proper dwelling, these he has kept in darkness, bound with everlasting chains for judgment on the great day. In a similar way, Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding towns gave themselves up to sexual immorality and perversion. They serve as an example of those who suffer the punishment of eternal fire. In the very same way, on the strength of their dreams, these ungodly people pollute their own bodies, reject authority, and heap abuse on celestial beings. But even the archangel Michael, when he was disputing with the devil about the body of Moses, did not himself dare to condemn him for slander, but said, The Lord rebuke you. Yet these people slander whatever they do not understand, and the very things they do understand by instinct as irrational animals do, will destroy them. Woe to them. They have taken the way of Cain. They have rushed for profit into Balaam's error. They have been destroyed in Korah's rebellion. These people are blemishes at your love feasts, eating with you without the slightest qualm, shepherds who feed only themselves. They are clouds without rain, blown along by the wind, autumn trees without fruit and uprooted, twice dead. They are wild waves of the sea, foaming up their shame, wandering stars for whom blackest darkness has been reserved forever. Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied about them. See, the Lord is coming with thousands upon thousands of his holy ones to judge everyone and to convict all of them of all the ungodly acts they have committed in their ungodliness and of all the defiant words ungodly sinners have spoken against him. These people are grumblers and fault finders. They follow their own evil desires. They boast about themselves and flatter others for their own advantage. John, I invite you up. Lord, Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for scripture. Thank you for making sure that it's still with us. It's still with us in the form that we can read it today. And we can read of truth. And we can read your instructions to us. Bless John as he brings that now. Amen. Thank you, Mark. <coughs> I was, uh, we we're saying that um, over the next two weeks, we're going to look at the book of Jude. Um, I'm doing these first verses. Um, and Mark will be concluding it next week. So if you want to get the full picture, you need to come again next week. 
the encouragement for you to come and uh, hear the word of the Lord. Now, uh, as we've been saying, as Nick was saying, Jude, who describes himself as a servant of Jesus Christ, which indicates someone who was devoted to serving Jesus, is using a term that we find used by Paul, James and Peter in the introductions to their epistles. And then again, as uh, Nick was saying, by referring to himself as a brother of James, who was a leader of the church at that time, he was considering he was one of Jesus' brothers. However, he thought it more important to identify himself as Christ's believer than as a family relative. Who is he writing to? Well, there is no specific church destination or people group mentioned. Some commentators think it is to Christians from a Jewish background. This is because of the references within the letter to Old Testament events and characters and Eva's Jewish writings circulating at that period. Jude seems very fond of triplets. In the first of these two verses, we see two uses of triplets. We're told that they are loved by God the Father and that refers to those who have responded positively to the teaching given by the Jesus and the words written in the Old Testament. They are kept by the Lord Jesus Christ. This indicates a continuous preservation of Jesus by those who trust him. 1 John 5 verse 18 says, We know that anyone born of God does not continue to sin. The one who has born of God kept him safe, and the evil one cannot harm him. The third description is that they are called. They are called by God, and that calling is to holiness. 1 Peter 1 says, Just, just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy, because I am holy. Jude then continues in these three qualities that he prays for his readers. Mercy, peace, and love in abundance. Now love and peace are perhaps things that we would use in greetings. But mercy is not something that we would naturally think about. Why does he use it? Perhaps it's because of what he is about to write about, the problem of false teaching. Jesus, <coughs> Jude, wants to remind his readers that they need God's mercy upon them every day of their lives. Just like us as believers, we are still prone to sin and are in constant need of that unmerited mercy. Peace. The Hebrew shalom, the peace that takes on a deeper meaning for the Christian who knows that they are accepted by God. 
Though undeserving, they can experience that deep peace in their lives. Thirdly, God's love filling them, but reaching out through them to the world around them. Mercy from God, peace within, love for men in all its fullest measure. So he then says that he was going to write to them a positive letter, but he's now writing to them to warn them of false teachers and asking them to contend for the faith. As Christians, we face two pressures on what we believe. The first is from outside the church, and in one sense we would expect that. The non-believer will try and convince us that we are wrong. The more dangerous pressure <clears throat> is those, are those that come from within the church, when people claim to have a word from God, but have their own agenda. They are seeking to lead people astray. It would appear that these false teachers had infiltrated their meetings. They were seeking to undermine two important tenets of the Christian faith. The first was the holiness of God. The Bible is clear that God hates sin in all its forms. And we must not think that just because he is willing to forgive us, it gives us any liberty to carry on sinning. We remember that Jesus, when dealing with the woman who was caught in at the act of adultery, though he says he does not condemn her, he specifically tells her to stop sinning. The second area Jude speaks about is their denial of Jesus as Saviour and Lord. By denying the true deity of Jesus, they are also denying his uniqueness as the only way of salvation. We face the same problem with multiculturalism being promoted by our secular society. The premise that all religions are equal. The church is being discouraged from declaring the uniqueness of Jesus Christ as it seems to be bigotry and discriminatory. Yet Jesus himself is very clear on this issue. We need, read in John's Gospel, he said, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. He specifically uses the definite article, the, rather than an indefinite a. So Jude is clear that our beliefs determine our actions. If we stray in our understanding of the truth, then our conduct will be affected. He now proceeds to look at three examples from the Old Testament. He reminds them firstly that starting out with a pure understanding faith in God does not guarantee that this will continue. He uses the example of God's act of rescue for the children of Israel from this, their slavery in Egypt. They had cried to God. He had heard them 
Through Moses, God had delivered them from the Egyptians. Yet they rebelled against him at Mount Sinai. They built an idol of golden calf. They did not trust him when they had first opportunity to enter the promised land. And they grumbled against him. And as a result, that generation perished in the wilderness. Jude then has a second example and talks about angels. This seems odd to us, because, but it was relevant at the time of the writing. The Jews were very interested in angels during the first, early first centuries BC. Angels were to be servants of God, agents during carrying out his will. Hebrews 1 says that angels are ministering spirits sent to serve those who will inherit salvation. Now we are told that Satan was an angel who disobeyed God and was cast out from heaven. But in this verse, Jude is referring to the actions of angels as recorded in the book of Enoch and possibly in Genesis 6, verses 1 to 4. We read there that when men began to increase in number on the earth and daughters were born to them, the sons of God saw that the daughters of men were beautiful and they left their places in heaven and they came down and married any of them they chose. The two characteristics of the accounts of the fall of angels are pride and lust. Pride because they were not content to keep their positions of authority under God. And they wanted to satisfy their lusts for the daughters of men. Jude is warning that pride can influence even those who have a privileged knowledge of God. Jude then, as a third example, talks of the judgment of Sodom and Gomorrah. He states that the error was sexual immorality and perversion. And reference to the destruction of these cities occurs throughout the Bible. Jesus refers to them more than once. For example, in Matthew 10, when sending out the 12 disciples to the Jewish towns, he tells them, if anyone is not, will not welcome you or listen to your words, shake the dust off your feet when you leave that home or town. I tell you the truth, it would be more bearable for Sodom and Gomorrah on the day of judgment for that town. Jude is warning that Christian, the Christians that God will judge them if they follow the same pattern. He loathes idolatry, which is an action against him, and immorality, which results in hurts for those who create it. We see in a number of epistles that there are uh, the exhortation to refrain from sexual immorality. Ultimately, all moral pollution of God's creation will be punished. 
He sums it up in verse 8 by saying that they pollute their own bodies, reject authority, and heap abuse on celestial beings. He takes up this last point in his next verse. It's a strange story and refers back to the end of Deuteronomy, where the death of Moses is recorded. And Moses, the servant of the Lord, died there in Moab, as the Lord had said. He buried him in Moab, in the valley opposite Beth Peor. But to this day, no one knows where his grave is. The fact that no one knows exactly where he was buried supports the common understanding that God organized the burial. He did not want a place where the Israelites could set up a shrine and offer worship to Moses. The reference to Michael and Satan comes from an apocryphal manuscript called The Assumption of Moses, or sometimes called The Testimony of Moses. This records that God sent the angel, archangel Michael, to bury Moses. When he arrived, he found that the devil was there. There was a dispute because the devil claimed the body as his because Moses was a murderer. Furthermore, the devil claimed authority over all matter and Moses body fell under that category. But even under such blasphemous provocation, the story goes, Michael was not disrespectful to the devil. He simply left the matter in God's hands and said, the Lord rebuke you. So Stude is stating that if an angel is careful about how he speaks to Satan, so that he does not claim authority over him that is God's alone. We need to be careful that we do not overstep our authority. The false teachers were displaying an ignorance of the role of angels as guardians of the law. Hebrews 2, chapter 2, talking of Mosaic law, says... We must pay the most careful attention, therefore, to what we have heard, so that we do not drift away. For since the message spoken through angels was binding, for every violation and disobedience received its just punishment. They were arrogant and disregarded the law, and so questioned God's authority. They went, wanted to please their own selfish desires. In verse 11, he then gives three examples of men from the Old Testament who displayed these characteristics. But he also says that they sought to lead others astray. He starts with Cain, who murdered his brother out of jealousy. John, in his first letter, says, Do not be like Cain, who belonged to the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own actions were evil 
and his brothers were righteous. Jude says that the false teachers are motivated by jealousy. They lacked love for their fellow believers, just like Cain lacked love for his brother. They are bound to have an adverse effect on those who listen. They will be punished. He then talks about Balaam, who we read about in Numbers chapters 22 and 24. He was a pagan prophet. He was asked, approached by King Balak to curse the children of Israel and he would reward him financially. Three times Balaam was willing to pray to God to obtain a curse, but God said that Balaam had to bless the Israelites, not curse them. So eventually he blessed them. But we read a few chapters later that they were, they were the ones who followed Balaam's advice and were the means of turning the Israelites away from the Lord into idolatry so that a plague struck the Lord's people. So here was a man who had prophetic gifts who had three times been unable to curse the Israelites. He thought they must be so firm in the favour of the Almighty that nothing would affect their standing before him. They could sin with impunity and he led them into immorality and idol worship. Jude says that we must be careful of those who boast of prophetic dreams and visions, but they lead people away from the truth. The third person he talks about is Korah, and we read about this in Numbers 16. He tried to organise a rebellion against Moses with Dothan and Abarim. He was obviously unhappy about the leadership of Moses and Aaron, even though it was recognised that they had been divinely appointed. He thought that he knew better. He did not want to submit to their authority. He felt that he was as good and as holy as they were. He was a very ambitious person who fell into the trap of thinking he knew it all. He had gathered around him 250 like-minded people who were in leadership positions. They wanted to run the scene themselves. But God punished Korah and Dathan and Eberim and the other leaders because of their rebellion. In summing up, Paul says that the false teachers are arrogant, they lack humility, they lack love for their fellow believers, they are driven by self and an unwillingness to submit to God's appointed leaders. They lead their listeners to sin. And he concludes this section by saying, when Jesus comes in glory, they will be judged for their ungodly ways, their ungodly acts, and their ungodly speech, and face eternal punishment. 
He then, although he attributes this saying to the book of Enoch, it echoes Jesus' teaching in Matthew 25. So what can we understand from this early part of Jude as Gentile believers? As we look at these examples, we see that they are just as relevant to us today. There are those within the wider church who teach a tolerance of sexual immorality in all its forms, a denial of any absolute truth, and a priority of human rights. Jude's use of apocryphal books does not nullify his teaching. His warnings are not unique because he refers to other warnings from the apostles in the section that Mark is preaching in next week. A look at the history of the Christian church shows examples of splits due to differences in interpretation of scripture and to people being led astray. I could say more, but I will limit myself to one example from history as I don't want to steal Mark's thunder. In Wayne's, Wayne Goodrum's book on biblical doctrine, he has a chapter about angels and he warns about receiving false doctrine from, from angels. He quotes from Galatians where Paul warns, but even we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel rather than the one we preach to you. Let him be under God's curse. And he then applies it as, and uses an example, the claim of the Mormons that an angel spoke to Joseph Smith in the early 1800s and revealed to him the basis of the Mormon religion. Their teaching is contrary to the scripture at many points, such as the doctrine of the Trinity, the person of Christ, justification by faith alone, and many others. We should not accept it, he says. But unfortunately, as we're aware, there are many that do. One commentator says of our current situation, we seem to worship on the altar of equality and anti-discrimination rather than on the altar of the truth of God's word as revealed in the scripture. We must not be seen to be too different from the culture around us. So even today, we're being called to contend for the truth of the Holy Scripture. As we go back to look at those early verses, the Bible teaches that true believers are in the world but not part of it. We are part of God's kingdom revealed to us through Jesus and Scripture. A kingdom where God's rule and standards exist. A kingdom that offers us a personal relationship with our Heavenly Father, where we receive mercy, peace, 
and love in abundance. We are kept by the Holy Spirit. By contrast, Jude says, these false teachers offer us nothing of substance, clouds without rain, autumn trees without fruit. They are motivated by the evil one. Our continual prayers should echo the lines of the Lord's Prayer. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Let's pray. Almighty God, our loving Father in heaven, we thank you for the Bible that reveals your character and your love for us, that was fulfilled through your Son's sacrificial death on Calvary. We thank you that our sins can be forgiven and our relationship with you can be reconciled. We ask that the Holy Spirit will help us get a correct understanding of your word so that we can discern what is true in what we hear and what we read. Help us to walk day by day by the revelation that the Holy Spirit gives us as we seek to live lives that are honouring to you and bearing a true image of you to those we meet. We ask it in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen.